All right, folks, welcome along to another episode of Talking Peace, the Restorative Conversations podcast from Northern Ireland Alternatives. Today, I'm joined by a number of guests who are going to speak about a local community event that was organized by Alternatives in order to engage um, local churches in the wider community to raise awareness about the work that Alternatives does, but also to see where the, the work of the churches aligns with that as well. So I'm just going to ask everybody in the room just to introduce themselves, and then we'll get into a wee bit of a conversation Billy, you're to my left. Are you? You're a dob hand at this old podcast stuff now, mate. Give us a wee intro to yourself, and then maybe you can outline where this came from as well. While we we go around the room. Well, the listeners may think differently after <laughs> after this podcast, but my name's Billy Drummond, and I'm the manager of Shankill Alternatives. And my name's Jack Lamb. I'm a blow in from Scotland. Moved in 27 years ago, and I'll be retiring in just three months' time. And I'm so glad I got to the alternatives meeting. And my name's Tim. I'm a restorative pra- practitioner with Alternatives Northern Ireland. I work for the um, Aspire program. You haven't had to give your job description too often, so you haven't? No, no, <laughs> no I've tried not to. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Billy, obviously I've, I've done a wee touch of a lead-in in regards to this, but obviously with you being the, the site manager at Schenkel, maybe you could give us a wee bit of context. I suppose, Glenn, it, it, the, the idea was um, sparked off with a phone call I got there um, a few weeks ago just from... Uh, the Reverend Colin Duncan, who's a Methodist minister and been in the area for a considerable long time, who's coming up to retirement. Um, and he, he, he'd been on our management committee for a while and he was sort of making us aware that he would be stepping down. And it made me think, um, particularly as coming out of COVID, I think the landscape's changed dramatically in terms of groups, organisations, what people do, what they don't do. Um, and I suddenly thought, you know, maybe it's time to reconnect again on a, on a not whilst we do it individually with a lot of different churches, clergy, maybe bringing them together and not taking for granted that they know what we do. Because as I say, Alternatives is continually developing projects and, and interventions. So we had a conversation as a team um, and it sort of moved pretty quickly. And I had this great idea that um, we would, because unfortunately at the minute our building is out of action because of a flood, I had this idea that we would do it outreach to the church would be fine a venue and then I started to think about it my mind started going crazy and I went well the churches used to do these early tent um, missions and, and evangelize the community and I thought what about if we evangelize the local clergy and we'll get a big tent somewhere and we'll stick it up so I started to think that idea and then quickly I thought about the practicalities of it um, and then I thought do you know what we were doing a we were doing a bit of a, a a contact with the Argyle Business Centre and they are the owners of the Shankill Road Mission. Oh, right, okay. So I thought, what about using that? Although it's been closed down and it's hopefully going to become um, a hotel, I thought, I wonder could we get temporary access to that? Because for people that don't know, the Shankill Road Mission, I think, is is really synonymous with how the churches reached out in the early, um, late 1800s, early 1900s, where the church realised that, you know, when they came into a community like the Shankill, there was so much need um, for, for witness, not just for saving souls, but actually helping the communities with poverty and outreach. So I approached Argyle Business Centre and, and said, can we temporarily get access to the mission? Because Montgomery was the person who got out there and got amongst the people. So it was, it was a symbolic thing, and mm-hmm. I thought it made spark a wee bit of interest with the local clergy and just using that so that that's what sort of kicked it off the idea 
Brilliant. I thought for a wee second you were going to get your name changed to Billy Graham the way you were talking there. So, uh, <laughs> so what actually happened on the day then in terms of the, the, the activities that took place and who was invited, etc.? Well, I suppose one of the things I forgot that we did do as well, um, which we noticed, unfortunately, that because the building had been um, in disuse for a considerable period of time now, it had been plagued with graffiti and... Uh, on the shutters of it, but also on the on the facade. And for those that know the Shangle Road Mission, that sandstone facade is, is really iconic. So we decided that as well as getting it open, we would clean it up. So we done a bit of a, um, a clean up with it. So we contacted the council. We got the shutters painted out um, and got the graffiti moved from the shutters. But the sandstone, we got the council and thankfully the cleansing team, because it needed specialist cleaning, were able to remove the tags and I think you'll agree if you look on our mm. Facebook or website you'll see the transformation. It is temporary as I say we hope that uh, the, the Shankill Road Mission will once again be opened for a, ho- a hotel that'll welcome the people of Shankill and outside it. But that that had to be done before we even cleaned so the tent maybe seemed an easier idea <laughs> when we started to see the, the cleanup that needed to be done and then thankfully the Argyle Business Centre as well um, we knew there was a, there was um, electricity still power in the building, but some of the rooms, uh, as I say, um, there was some decay and stuff. So they did a bit of a clean up inside for oh, us. Okay, get on. So who all was invited then, Billy? Give me a flavour. Who all was there? Well, what we did is, as I say, our our stars um, coordinator Nev Gallagher. We sat down and we brainstormed all the local churches, and I suppose the Shankles one of them areas that is famous for the amount of churches they have. Um, so from the very wee small wee um, local mission hall um, that maybe had a, a a voluntary pastor or an oversight right up to the bigger, more established churches, um, we just made a list, and I think it was upwards of maybe 30, 40 people that we had put on the list, um, and we started to just literally contact them. So obviously, um, a lot of the churches that maybe the bigger ones, we, we had relationships with them. So we just started phoning around. We sat to date and said, look, um, it'd be great if you could come along. Unfortunately, obviously, ministers and clergy are very busy people, mm. but I'm delighted to say that we had, it's actually 22 different representatives. Um, and, and again, what I really did like is that there were people there who were from very wee small local halls Um there were obviously people that give their apologies, but it, I, I really liked the variety of the churches, and they were from the length and breadth of the Greater Shangle area. So it was it was uh, very enlightening to see the the reaction we got. No. Tim, just going to bring you in uh, quickly here in regards to you. Obviously, you've started working with alternatives. Um, how many months ago now? Seven. Seven months. Yeah. And that. Uh, Obviously, getting your you're getting your feet on the table. You're working on a very different um, project in regards to you know your work here with alternatives. Mm-hmm. How did you end up getting involved in this aspect of it, and uh, why do you feel that that's important? Well, um, I suppose Billy rolled me out as the the person that used to work for the church before I came to this job. You know, so he needed he needed some kudos somewhere, and <laughs> and I was the kudos. Um, so uh, <laughs> no, so my previous role, I, I worked with the Church of Ireland um, okay. as a as a youth development officer for a diocese, um, and that I suppose, and a, a lot of that 
history informs my practice now and informs why I'm, I'm part of alternatives too. Uh, you know, I, I firmly believe in the project of alternatives in terms of um, in terms of restoring people's value um, mm-hmm. and, and, and who they are. Um, and that comes from, that's, and, and we talk about it in restorative practice, you know, the victim, the, the offender and, and the community. And we, we think about those, those three areas and, and when, when harm's committed, um, then those three areas lose something. And um, particularly with the victim, there's a humanity lost. With the offender, there's humanity lost in, in the eyes of community and, and the, the person that's been harmed. Um, and then with the community itself, you know, as a as someone that commits harm, then you don't necessarily think, well, actually, they matter mm-hmm. even. Do you know what I mean? So so it, I love that idea of, of restored value. And I think there's there's a there's a wonderful play across across um, what I believe in terms of theologically and who God is and, and who Jesus is and, and all of that. There's a there's a lovely play a, across that because I, I think the Bible speaks of a God of restoration mm. um, and and that's where that's a huge part of of where I sit on that. Yeah, know? yeah, no, I definitely I, I I hear that and I think you know whenever you're looking at the sort of maybe the the core element of what we do, you know, the very first element of what we would talk about the core concepts of restorative justice and restorative practice is is building relationships and maintaining a sense of community. And that very much aligns with the biblical narrative in regards to it. It centers around, ultimately, around a relationship and uh, restoring, you know, that um, aspect of God and humanity and stuff. So, yeah, brilliant. Jack, I was bringing you in then in terms of what you obviously then get an invite to come along to this thing. And, uh, you know, obviously you, you attend. I attend. I, yeah. was, I was thrilled <laughs> to attend. I was knocked out by your ability to gather together 22 ministers in the. And, and pastors in one place at the same time. That was quite an achievement in itself. And uh, for all that I've been around for 27 years here in the Shankill, uh, there were some people there that I did not know to see, and there were certainly several who I did not know by name. Okay. So even just in that regard, in bringing clergy together to meet one another, that was a great thing, and, and I do hope that that's picked up and, and run with in yeah. the future. And then sticking with you, Jack. Then what did you kind of experience then at the the event itself, at the gathering itself? What kind of, what kind of happened, and what kind of stood out for you as a a means of connecting with what you do and what alternatives do? What's really uh, stuck out uh, for me at the meeting was the the, the solid theological basis of the work uh, uh, of alternatives. I was very impressed by uh, Tim's presentation. And I think all the, the clergy there were impressed by that. And uh, the times in the circle groups were, were, were powerful for us as well. Um, and certainly that the, it, it was knocked on the head, the idea that, uh, the sh- that restorative justice was an easy option mm. for, for somebody who's done wrong. It's far from an easy option, um, but it's a positive option. Okay. And then you mentioned there a wee bit about the the circle side of things and it being it being powerful, and it's definitely something you know that we've reconnected with. I think as an organisation as a whole, the idea of the circle and because the circle's not a, a new isn't a new practice. I mean, it's a a very old and ancient practice that's been used by many different communities um, throughout throughout the ages, and uh, especially in regards to dealing with issues. And uh, what was it specifically? 
that you experienced in the circle that made it powerful for you? What, what was it about that that made you go, whoa, this could have some kind of impact or it's having an impact on me right now in the room? It certainly did have an impact on me at the time and uh, has implications for the future as well because uh, as clergy, as pastors, uh, we are used to being in a situation where people are sitting there in rows in front of us uh, and we're speaking to, to them. Uh, they're sitting there in groups looking at the back of each other's heads, mm. whereas, as you say, the simple idea of meeting in a circle totally changes that, totally changes the dynamics, and I would suggest would totally change the outcome of many's a meeting if it were simply done in a circle rather than in rows. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think for me, one of the elements of that, as, you say, as you're, you're saying, is that the circle removes the hierarchy and uh, it removes the the whole idea of almost of authority in the room, that the whoever's at the front has the authority. And uh, it, it, it does it, it, it levels the playing field, doesn't it, in regards to who has, uh, who has the floor to speak. And I'm sure he's obviously used the talking pace and everything in regards to, 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 to how you manage people's conversations. Tim, going back to you then, talk to us a wee bit about your, your presentation. And obviously Jack's made reference to it. So without going into it and, like, major detail can you give us a wee bit of a, a synopsis of what that actually was and why jack was able to align from a theological perspective with what we do yeah well i suppose when i was when i was thinking about what we were what we were going to do and you know billy had put pressure on me to think about something um actually uh, <laughs> um <laughs> actually no i i suppose i was thinking of Back to that, the, the narrative, one of the narratives throughout the Bible is this theme of restoration. So that's kind of what I picked up on. And um, I think as as we look at, you know, I started at the start, really, you know, we, you know, we have creation, but then we have the fall. But then after the fall is essentially all of God's work to restore humanity back to himself. Um, and then we see throughout the Old Testament, and we think it's all about blood, guts, and murder. Um, but actually, the, a lot of the theme of the Old Testament is about mercy and and showing care to the widows, the orphans, the foreigner, uh, which is all about the rehumanizing of people that are that are considered less than. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, t- I spoke a little bit about my my favorite passage in the Bible, which is Isaiah fifty eight, which talks about. Um, the release, the release of prisoners. It talks about the restoration of walls and the restoration of family, um, the feeding of the of the poor, and and it questions why it questions people's motives around religiosity as opposed to actual real care for for people. And the um, and I suppose again went back to how how when there is harm caused when when we're thinking about it in, in a restorative place, then. We're looking at the rehumanizing of people and the revaluing of people um, across lots of different levels, and not just within a specific, very small, specific restorative justice piece, but in a wider restorative um, process that that we're looking at the the valuing of of individuals, but also then of communities and and whole like cities and and beyond that. And then take the story of um, of, of the woman caught in adultery and how um, she had been dragged in front of Jesus. Um, and uh, and the 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 religious leaders of the day had said, well, you know, our rules say we need to stone her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus um, Jesus challenged them by saying, well, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Um, 
And in that in that moment, in that little sentence, um, her humanity is exposed to to the religious people, um, but their humanity is also exposed in that they recognize their flaws and their weakness mm. also. So there's a there's a there's a there's a balance that's brought into that piece. Um, and then at the end, when no one throws a stone, and the oldest that have realized that actually they're um, have have left first, and then down to the youngest, and then it's just her and Jesus. And Jesus says, "Has no one has no one thrown a stone?" She says, "No one." And then Jesus says, "Well, go and sin no more." It, he's not saying, um, he's not saying, "Well, then off you go." He's he's asking her to change her life, um, and I think that's a huge part of the restorative process too. When it comes to a harm doer, it's not just going, mm. "Oh, sure, we've done that piece and it's fine." Um, we're 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 introducing them to a new way of life. We're we're introducing them to a place where they can live differently. Um, and that's, that's the invitation of Jesus. It wasn't that he was, he was soft on her. He was asking her to, to make a huge change in her life. Um, yeah. And that, that's massive. So, and that's what restorative justice asks us to do as well. Yeah. And I think that, that there's a lane there with that connection with what we do in regards to being, it's being hard on problems, but softer on people, I think, is, is the element, doesn't it? You know, where you're trying to, the, the, the realization of what's motivating your behavior in this moment you know is it the, the need to fulfill some religious law which is actually could be seen as vengeance and vindic- vindictiveness um or are you really concerned about the person that is standing yeah. in front of you it's a proper care it is it's a proper care for people beyond their behavior essentially mm-hmm. beyond what they've been caught in beyond yeah. beyond their attitude to someone else, even with the example of the, the Pharisees, you know, their attitude mm. was, she's not worth anything, yeah. you know, so it it's even, because one of the things I think we see when G- Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees is that he's quite hard on them, but actually I think a lot of the time he's just calling them to recognize their humanity and everybody else's, you know, and that's a different, that's not mm. about being hard, but that's about... um opening their them up to to recognize the value of of, mm. of humanity and people yeah well and it's an honesty in regards to the human condition i suppose you know that you know yeah. the, the reason why you you're in the position you are <laughs> is around trying to, to to realize that we do have things in regards that our behavior can harm people and that ultimately you know some of the the leaders the idea of leadership is to is to guide us through the impact that that might have on on our community and how we maybe how we can handle that, and I suppose for for any religious leader, it's about reflecting God's response mm-hmm. to that, and and I think that that's useful. It, it's I always find it interesting when people mention that the story of the the woman caught in, in adultery and stuff. And I know one of the interpretations of that story that I've heard is that whenever Jesus talks about you know the idea of who is without sin, it actually there's a, an element where in the wording of that where it could actually be Jesus is saying who's who. Anybody here who's not guilty of the same sin through the first one, and it's like, and that's where mm. you know, because the way I look at it is that somebody had to go and find this woman, somebody was standing mm-hmm. watching or oh, sitting at a window watching or doing something, you know. So she was definitely hunted yeah, down, I said, and they weren't paying for it either, you know. So, um, but there's there's a lot of that stuff where you know, the, the humanity aspect, and I suppose that's almost the Jesus's rule in history in regards to the, the theological thing is about it's like. It's like God taking a class and being a human, you know. It's, not, it's like you know, God knows what yeah. it's like to be God, but doesn't know what it's like to be a human, separated from God. What impressed me about the meeting um, with regards to restorative justice was the mentoring aspect 
that restorative justice offers mm -hmm. to the person who has done wrong. Mm. Uh, that really meant a lot to me because uh, the mentoring aspect meant that the person was able to understand just the implications of what they had done mm. uh, to their victim. And, uh, and they were going to have a companion who was going to walk with them mm. through the pain that they realised they've caused. Maybe they didn't realise mm. how hurtful mm. it was to the, the victim. And, but, but they were, were not going to say, well, that's it, that's the end, you're finished, your life's ruined. They're saying, no, we're going to learn from this. Mm. And this can, we can turn a negative into a positive. Yeah. That really excited me. And I think, Glenn, sorry, one of the ways we, we were wanting to introduce him to the, the theological and, and the, the, the philosophy of restorative justice, what we what we tried to do in a, in a short wee synopsis was to show how that's practically applied through the, mm. the staff that we have and the services that we do. So each each member of staff stood up and talked about it's some the you know the, the victim support worker, whether it's a youth support worker, whether it's the employability, whether it's the mental health services we have, whether it's the, the interventions with young people in the criminal justice system, or whether it's the the building of community that we do through community development. I think that's what we were trying to say to the churches is that, yeah, here here's this overarching concept and approach of how we actually see things, but here's how it, it's real. Here's how it gets down into mm. the into the communities and I think you know the, the other thing was I suppose we're conscious that the churches some of the churches are delivering huge amount of wide range of, of um, interventions um, and others are not in the, in the position to be able to do that so we want to be able to say you know you may have people in your congregation you may have kids coming to your youth club you may have elderly residents have been victims of crime here is here's something that you can utilize you can tap into um and more importantly if you are interested you know the the work that you are doing you can introduce this philosophy um this technique um through the circles into your own sort of into your own circles of, of influence so I, th I think for me it, it was very much about you know setting it in that context but actually saying to the churches you know here here's practical things that we can try and help you because the one thing that um, that struck me was in the circles is the amount of um, the amount of work, the amount of pride. There's so much responsibility on somebody in leadership in the clergy that it surprised me that how often do they get the space? Um, they actually, you know, get support, just sound things off. And it was, I say, it was only an introduction to it, but within it, very quickly, um, you could see how people. Um, created the safe space, the environment was right, and people were sharing things that, mm. that as say probably the the wouldn't do to maybe closer friends, but in that in that place that's facilitated and allowed to happen, things things can happen, and I think that's the that's the energy that that restorative practices bring to situations. Yeah, no, it definitely it is. It always it always amazes me. Well, it shouldn't really amaze me to be honest with you in regards to. You know how quickly a circle can develop into quite a deep and meaningful conversation, and and what people are sharing, and within the context of that circle, even after short, short periods of time of being in a room with people, either they they've heard of or potentially don't really even know at all, and they're the level of sharing. Jack, just in regards to what Billy was talking about, there one of the questions I'd asked was about where you potentially can see this. Obviously, you're heading towards 
retirement or whatever else, but where could you see this fitting into whatever time you have left at the church in regards to being able to implement some of this stuff and how you run the church? Well, in, in my case, I have an elderly congregation um, to, to the extent that when I go, there will, no, there will be no replacement for me and the congregation will d- dissolve and the, the elderly members, and most of them are elderly people, will, will scatter to, to the churches of their choice. Mm. Um, but I certainly do see a future for this with the, the local clergy in the Shankill, greater Shankill area. Um, I would love to think that Shankill Alternatives might organise uh, a regular gathering of clergy, maybe once every four months, would be great to get clergy together just to remind uh, those who already know about the work of alternatives, but also to inform those who are new in the area um, about the work that alternatives does. And uh, I also think that this working together, well, I think there's a great future in alternatives working with churches uh, and not just for churches. No worries. And then, so maybe Billy and Tim, where, where can you guys see that developing then? Well, I think, I mean, undoubtedly, uh, and again, this wasn't about us telling people how to suck eggs because a, a huge amount of work, as I say, we've worked with churches um, during the pandemic. We, we operate out of the Welcome Church. Um, you know, we've, there's churches providing the food banks where essential services were, were provided. So we utilize a lot of churches. There's Baby Basics. Um, the Living Hope Church actually um, a number of their people got involved in the restorative justice training and are up to level two restorative practices. So we undoubtedly see that there's an appetite and I think the the event reaffirmed that both in terms of providing justice space for, for clergy to, to come together. Um, but more importantly, the next step we will do is to drill down into how could that work out? You know, is it training? Is it collaboration? Is it just providing the space? And, for me, I think it'll be a menu of things, you know, and hopefully um, as we roll this out, you know, the, the, the clergy that maybe weren't able to attend will, will build and uh, we'll get this down and, and embed it because we, um, when we, when Alternative started out um, in 1998, um, one, of the, one of the first things we did, funny enough, and it actually brought about a representation of uh, the clergy on our management group, was to have a church engagement. And it is that whole recognition that restorative justice has its history in, mm. in Christian values and spirituality, and it has its values. And the churches do restorative justice every day. I suppose what we're doing is putting a, a framework around it and helping each other to um, meet the needs of the community out there. And that's ultimately what it's about, people helping people. and. Um, the philosophy of restorative justice to me is is completely um, level and up with the church's values. So mm-hmm. we're hoping that, that we'll we'll build in us. And you know, it's not just about Tim. You know, and his his uh, clerical background. You know, <laughs> we we have a wide range of people involved in it. And as I say, um, the churches have always been to the fore of either us collaborating to use their services or them with us. So hopefully, this is just about a reigniting that. And Tim, what about you? What do you what do you think? And maybe the future might look like. What would you like to see happening as a result of this ongoing engagement? I think a little bit like like Billy and Jack, just that that ongoing collaboration between churches and alternatives and churches together. Um, I think at times um, churches can become quite 
protective of their own little area um, and um, I think a, a wider forum where, where we can share what's going on uh, offers offers opportunity for support, opportunity to share in circles and, and kind of dissect some of those bigger issues that, that are maybe happening. Um, but also then it offers the opportunity for practical support. Um, actually, one of the things that's come out of that is that I've um, one of the churches on the Shankill has invited me down to, to meet with them um, in, a, in a few months and to go and speak on a Sunday morning, you know, yeah, the old background and all that. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, so, yeah, so I think that I think that just more collaborative work, you know, communities are transformed when people work together, mm. you know, that, and that's that's essentially it. And I think the restorative piece and that 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 lens um, is a really significant one that is that is can be transformative for for communities. So. Yeah, brilliant. So just bringing that to a close, I mean, it's I definitely see the connection between the work because at the end of the day, you know, human beings thrive on connection and being connected with others. When we're, when we're not connected to people, that's when some of our issues and things can really come to the fore uh, and start to manifest themselves. And I suppose, you know, working with churches who believe in a God that thrives on connection with people as well means that there's an obviously um, almost a, a nice kind of marriage of the, the two elements of work there. So Folks, thanks very much for taking the time to come in and share with us about the event and uh, definitely look forward to hearing more about the development of the work that Alternatives is doing with uh, the churches in the, in the local area. Thank you. Thanks, thanks Clint. Thank you.